Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. The God of the Bible is the God who created heaven and earth. The God of the Bible is the one who sent his son to die on the cross in our place and has a plan for your life. Not just the creator of the birds and the bees in your backyard. God is in fact Lord of the cosmos. The world and the universe are in his hands. Dr. Corbett is continuing in Jeremiah chapter 10 and tonight it looks at the Lord of the cosmos. Father, today there may be people listening, watching this and I pray right now that, Lord, you would reveal yourself to them. Father, let things be said today that will answer confusing questions. Let things be said today that will settle disturbed ideas. Let things be said today that will strengthen those who have gone lukewarm or cold or weak in their pursuit of you. I pray today that for those who are listening and watching right now, who know you, love you, want your best in their lives, that, Father, today would be like pouring petrol, gasoline on the fire, that, Father, there would be a flame of passion, a flame of, of zeal that would just erupt today. Now, Lord, I also pray that according to the apostolic edict, that you, as the word is preached, you would confirm the word, for those who are sick listening to me right now, I pray, Lord, that you would supernaturally heal the sick. Let there be signs and wonders happening as this word is preached. Confirm your word. And Lord, at the end of it, I pray that there will be people who will say, I want to follow Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that there will be people who say, I follow Jesus and I want to follow him closer. So, Father, that's my prayer. And I pray, Lord, it will become our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to Jeremiah. And this passage, this seven-verse passage, has a theme which we're going to call the Lord of the universe. God is Lord of the universe. And Jeremiah is going to present God as the one God, the Lord of the universe. So here we are in verse 11. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 11, this is what it says. Thus you shall say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. So here's the point. Whenever God presents himself to an unbelieving world, he always introduces himself as creator. It's the starting point for belief. So God always presents himself as creator. We read the next verse. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. We, we probably read that. And, and in fact, if you if you have read your Old Testament, you will know that that expression by his understanding, he stretched out the heavens occurs in Job chapter nine and verse eight. It occurs again in Job chapter 26 and verse seven. It occurs again in Psalm 104 verse 2, Isaiah 40 verse 22, Jeremiah 51 15. And Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. This is not an, just a one-off little side claim. This is a claim that is repeated from the beginning of the Old Testament through to the end. Zechariah is the second last book of the Old Testament. That God created the heavens and the earth with understanding, that means intelligence, and he stretched out the heavens. Now we could read that and go, well, it's just, yeah, and big deal. 
Well, I hope to show you that it is a phenomenally big deal that the Bible, some 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, and the book of Job could have been somewhere between four to 10,000 years old, makes this declaration that the, the stars and the planets have been put in place originally infinite density and stretched out. If you know anything about astronomy and cosmology, you would know that the heavens that we observe right now, the stars, the planets and the night sky, is actually being stretched out. It's called um, the inflationary universe. The universe actually is expanding and it's expanding faster than the speed of light. And it's an amazing thing that three, four, five, six thousand years before mankind discovered this with sophisticated telescopes, that the Bible said it. Pretty amazing. So, verse 12 declares that God is creator. I could share story after story of people who have gone from unbelief to faith. And I know that there are people who could share stories the other way around. And that breaks my heart. There's good reason to have faith in God. And here's where I'm going to challenge some assumptions because, and I hope that we don't promote these assumptions. And one of the assumptions is this. Faith and reason are opposites. No, they're not. Some people think when we say faith that we mean blind faith. There's no evidence. There's no reason. You just got to accept it. I do believe in fairies. I do believe in fairies. I do believe in fairies. And if you believe it hard enough, it'll become real. Someone just used a Chaldean word. (laughs) Whereas Christianity, we're going to see invites challenge. It invites examination. It invites you to check out its claims. It doesn't want you to switch your brain off. It, It calls for investigation. And I've mentioned this before, when, but that, that it is possible to not be moved by the evidence, to have your heart so hard, no matter what evidence you're presented with, you're not going to be changed. You are not going to be open to the evidence. And I think one of the most dramatic stories of this was when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I've mentioned this before, that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, The unbelieving Pharisees and Sadducees were there to watch it. These were the people that said, Jesus is a charlatan. Jesus is a con artist. Jesus is deluded. Jesus is just a trickster. And there's Jesus in front of the tomb of Lazarus. And Jesus declares, by the way, before as Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus did something profound. John 11.35, every Sunday school kid knows this. John 11.35, shortest verse in the Bible, what does it say? Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He wept because of what he was about to do to Lazarus. Of all the people there who thought Lazarus was in the tomb, Jesus was the only one who knew where Lazarus really was. And what he was about to do caused him great sorrow. He was about to to heal Lazarus and bring him back to life. And for that, Jesus was immensely sad. But he had a purpose. Think about that next time you, I use the expression poorly, lose a loved one. Let me tell you, they're not lost. Especially if they're in Christ. They're not lost. You don't lose a loved one. They go on before you. Jesus weeps. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. And someone has said, if Jesus had just said, come forth, they all would have come out. So he had to be very specific. (laughs) 
<laughs> and Lazarus comes out, four days dead. So this is not like, uh, you know, he's had a sort of a, a heart stop. This is not sort of light at the end of the tunnel for five minutes stuff. This is dead four days, the body stinketh stuff. And out comes Lazarus. Now imagine this, you're the scribes, you're the Pharisees, you're the Sadducees watching this. You've ridiculed Jesus, you've said Jesus is not who he claims to be, he's no one. And then you see Jesus raise someone from the dead. What would you do if you're an open-hearted, open-minded Pharisee? You would go, oh, gosh, did we get that wrong? Man, gee, we look stupid now, don't we? Oh, gosh, he was who he was, who he claimed to be all along. We, we should go up to him right now and apologise. What did the scribes, the Pharisees and Sadducees think when they saw Lazarus raised from the dead? We've got to kill Lazarus, get rid of the evidence, and as soon as we can, we've got to kill Jesus. We cannot allow this to continue. You know what I call that? I call that really hard-hearted. I mean, how much more evidence do you want? Some people say, well, I'll believe if God stands right in front of me. No, you wouldn't. You may well harden your heart even harder. What does God have to do to get through to some people? Well, God always, in presenting himself to unbelieving people, presents himself as creator. So this is an expression that we use. It's called the first cause. God is the first cause. So I want you to think about this. Scientists tell us that everything had a beginning. Now, Christians have known this for a long time. It says, in the beginning, God created. Bang, there was... There was a, a, a moment when there was nothing and then God spoke and everything came into existence. Now, scientists tell us kind of that's what happened. They, they put a word on it. In fact, they call it the Big Bang. Now, don't think of it in terms of an explosion. Don't think of it in terms of out there in space there was nothing and then, you know, as Stephen Hawking says, you know, cosmic energy and physics got together and went bang and everything just came out of that. Don't think of it like that. But think of before there was anything... There was God. And then God spoke and everything from that moment came into existence. And from that moment, referred to as the Big Bang, all matter. Do you know what matter is? You're sitting in it. It's what you can feel. All matter came into existence. When you have separation of matter, an object here and an object here between them, you have what's called space. Space began from that point. And for a long time, we used to think that between this object and this object, there was just nothing. We, they even called it a vacuum. Nothing. Now they know there's heaps of stuff in here. It's called energy. And all energy began at a single moment in time. So I want you to think about this. All matter began. All space began, a present location. All energy began at a certain point in time. Something caused it. Greg Kokel, friend of our church, says this, the Big Bang requires a Big Banger. <laughs> These things don't start themselves. A, a, a friend of mine said that he put it this way to a whole bunch of uh, young kids. He said, imagine you take a PC, a, a, that's a, a computer, for those people who... Anyway, and it, you put it in the corner. You don't plug it in, you just put it in the corner. Now, how long do you have to wait before it plugs itself in, writes its own Windows software, boots up, and starts writing novels? Do we give it, what, a thousand years? 
What if we gave it a million years? What if we gave it a billion years? What if we gave it a trillion years? Get the idea? Nothing is ever going to cause itself to come into existence. If something is caused, someone caused it. Does that make sense? God is the first cause. So if we know that matter, time, space and energy had a beginning, whatever caused it to come into existence must not be made of matter, must not be subject to time, must not be subject to space. So let's see. Let's see who we're looking for here. We're looking for someone who is immaterial. The word is spirit. We're looking for someone who is beyond energy. The word is omnipotent, all-powerful. We're looking for someone who's not subject to time. The word is eternal. And we're looking for someone who is not subject to a location. That's omnipresent. Hmm. Who could that be? You see, what I'm, what I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to sound silly here, but, but I want us to use our minds and realise all of those things, matter, time, space, energy, could not have created themselves. I, I don't care if someone has 27 PhDs and they stand up here and say, there is no God, science has proved it. I don't care how many PhDs they got. Some of you have got PhDs, Pentecostal hairdos, after an older call. Now, some of you... You can hear somebody who's, who bamboozles you with, hey, I'm really smart and I know better than you. There is no God. Oh, okay, well, he's smarter than me. No. Just simply ask a question. How do you know that? Well, I've got 27 PhDs. Yeah, big deal. I don't really care about your PhD. The statement is, how do you know there's no God? Well, I, I'm smart and I just reckon. Oh. Okay, now at that point, don't say it because it would be rude. But you can think, yeah, it's okay to think it. You're really dumb. You're really dumb. All the evidence says this, and you're saying, I just don't want to regard the evidence. I just want to ignore the evidence and just la, 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 talk to the hand. You're really dumb. What do you mean there's no God? Scientists proved it. You're really dumb. You know, that position, I heard a scientist this week say that really among working scientists... Scientists who do not believe there, there is a God are actually way in the minority. In fact, most people who get into scientific endeavour sooner or later come across stuff they cannot explain and they have to put down to something way beyond natural. God is the first cause. That's what he claims to be. And it's logical that if matter, time, space and energy began, something that isn't subject to those things must have begun it. And God's the only one qualified. Notice the next verse, verse 13. It says this, when he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens. He makes the, the mist rise from the ends of the earth. Now, uh, he makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Notice this. It says that when he utters his voice. And now, Scripture tells us that when God began creating, he spoke. Now, for those who know what an audio wave looks like, if you've ever seen an audio wave on a computer, it kind of looks like this. You, you ever seen one? An audio wave. It's a wave of sound. And we can capture it now, what it looks like on a computer, and you can see waves. And if you really, really want to see one, go to the guys in the sound desk at the end. They've probably got some happening right now on the screen. It's called a sound wave. So every time we speak, we're actually creating a sound wave. Now, this, this is going to blow you away. When I went to school, I was told, and this will tell you how long, I went, how long ago I went to school, but I was told the smallest thing in the universe was an atom. Anyone ever told that? An atom. An atom, that's, that's it. That's, 
Don't get any smaller than Adam. By the time I got to grade six, they said, uh, you know that thing how we told you the smallest thing is an atom? Well, we've discovered there's actually something inside the atom called protons, neutrons and electrons. So I started out high school thinking, oh, okay, you know, we, we thought atoms were small. Now we know inside atoms are protons, neutrons and electrons. Ah, good, got that worked out. There goes, my, that's it. Now I don't need to know any more. That's it, done. By the time I finished high school, they had discovered that within protons, neutrons and electrons, there was stuff. And I, I kind of lost touch for about 20 years. And now I discover that they've gone what's called subatomic. That means it's, it's smaller than those things again. And what they've discovered is the very smallest thing is actually a vibration, a tiny little vibration. And the world's, this is called string theory. That these atoms holding this thing together, if we were to actually see what this is, we would see this is just a whole bunch of vibrations holding this together. Scripture declares he holds the universe together by his word. The ultimate vibration. Everything is held together by the word of God. The world's leading string theorist is a man by the name of Brian Green. When he presented this, and began to explore this, people began to say, hang on, you're saying that the very first thing, the very first thing, the thing that is everything, is, a, is a str- a, a, like a sound wave? He said, yeah, that's what it appears to be. They, and now they're all going, well, who spoke first? <laughs> and Brian Green, knowing that you meet a lot of opposition, if you go, well, gee, guys, you ever read Genesis 1-1? It says, in the beginning God spoke and... It all, and so he doesn't call. He doesn't say, "Well, it's God." He says, "Well, I guess the only thing we can put the little strings that hold everything together down to is a grand organizing designer." G, O, D. <laughs> and they go, "Ah, oh, grand organizing designer. That's fine. As long as you're not talking about God, that's fine." It's, so we read here that that. There is wisdom and there's understanding there's, that, that God has designed. It says even the, the, the waters that, that water the earth, and it goes on. He makes a mist rise from the, the, the earth. You know, the, the next time you, you sort of carry on and whinge about rain, just remember, without rain, guess what? We die. Cracks me up when you know, farmers pray that it rains and people about to go on a picnic in the same area pray that it doesn't. Gosh, I'll leave that one up to you, God. God knows what's best. So here we, and, and, and you notice the last part of that verse, or in there it uh, um, uh, talks about wind. Uh, he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Do you know, um, sometimes Christians can be very naive about the design that's gone into making the earth work. The, the next time there's a cyclone or a hurricane and people go, oh, the devil's been attacking. You notice this? Most cyclones occur around what's called the equatorial belt. Around, you know the, the equator? Right around the, the earth. Most cyclones happen around that. Most tornadoes, hurricanes. Why is that? You ever wondered why that is? You ever wondered why? Have you ever seen a, a, a picture of a, a, of a cyclone from the satellite? It kind of starts out over one of the poles, South Pole, North Pole, and it kind of swirls and gets bigger and then hits the, around near the equator. 
And some... You ever wonder what's going on there? Scientists now know that unless that happened, the the equatorial belt would get so hot, the earth would heat up and we'd all die. And that when hurricanes and cyclones come, he ordains the winds to come out of their storehouse. It actually cools the earth. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? In fact, that's just the, the water systems of the world. Next time you see a tsunami, I pause because anyway, next time you see a tsunami, that, that there are how many, uh, was it, um, creeks? Is it, creeks flow into streams, streams flow into rivers, rivers flow into seas, seas flow into oceans. How many oceans are there? Seven seas, how many oceans? Anyway, there's a few of them. Five? Pacific Ocean, Atlantic Ocean, Indian Ocean? Southern Ocean. That's about five. Now, (laughs) all the debris, nutrient debris from creeks flows into streams, flows into rivers, flows into seas, and then eventually makes its way out into oceans. And about every 100 years, every ocean experiences an earthquake on its seabed. And, and it's only where the, the bottom of the ocean goes like this, about a metre, two metres tops. Not, it's not real big. But the result is everything that's decayed and rich in nutrient at the bottom of that ocean is stirred up and a little tsunami or a big tsunami happens and it's redistributed out through the water systems of the world, thus maintaining life on planet Earth. How did Earth know how to do that? How did Earth know that it had to do that? How did the hurricane know it had to come from the North Pole to the equator? How did that happen? You see, God says he ordained it. And we can look at all these things, and I've just given you a few things, water, wind. You, you know, the, 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 the earth, here's another thing. The earth spins at a precise rate. You know what keeps it rotating at that precise rate? It's, it's a little thing that goes around it called the moon. And that moon is just at the right distance, just perfectly right distance, half a metre that way, half a metre that way, and it wouldn't work. If the moon was half a metre bigger or half a metre smaller, it wouldn't work. It's in the perfect position to keep the earth rotating exactly about 24 hours a day. You ever wondered why today's going to be 24 hours and not 25? You ever wondered why yesterday was pretty close to 24 hours? You ever wondered why for the last 10 30, 40, 50, 60,000 years, it's always been 24 hours. Ever wondered, how did that happen? It's almost as if God has designed it that way. You see, God presents himself as someone who says, I want you, Psalm 19 verse 1, I want you to consider this. I want you to look at the night sky and I want you to think about me when you do. He is the designer. So he wisely designed if you're looking for proofs for god there must be a first cause you know even richard dawkins now says everything on earth has been designed for life but this is what richard dawkins says but it couldn't have been done by god can you see the logic there yes everything's been designed i'll tell you right now if everything's been designed chances are you need a designer to make it work. If something's designed, there must be a designer. Richard Dawkins says, well, yes, I, I grant that everything's been designed and it fits together perfectly and life couldn't happen unless all these things fitted together. But it wasn't God. 
Ben Stein asked him in an interview, well, what was it then? Aliens, <laughs> said Richard Dawkins. But the evidence is God. God declares, I wisely designed everything that exists. Notice uh, also, we, we come to verse 14. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Um, every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false. There is no breadth in them. See, God is saying here, these things, they didn't make the heavens and the earth. And worshipping them is wrong. It is wrong. Now, what's God saying? I'm the one who tells you what is right and wrong. I'm the lawgiver. You ever wondered why we all know what's right and all know what's wrong? How did we end up with that? It's almost as if, as Romans 2 says, God created us with that knowledge in our heart. We have a sense of right and wrong. How do we know what's right and wrong? There must be somebody who is ultimately right and ultimately all good for us to know that. There's another proof for the existence of God. God established physical and moral laws. We read in Jeremiah 31.35, I think it is. Jeremiah 31.35 says this, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and fixed the order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from me before, uh, before me, declares the Lord. Now, the, the point is there. God says he has fixed laws, physical laws, that govern this universe. Next time you see a movie about an asteroid coming and wiping out all life on planet Earth, you, you, can, you can go, well, that's interesting, but it won't happen just yet because God has put planets in its way. You ever wondered why Mars, Venus, Saturn, bye-bye Pluto, Neptune, all those planets are there? They actually act as a protective barrier to that happening to Earth. There's a reason for it. God has designed these things and he's fixed the laws. So God has fixed the laws that govern the universe, including the laws of right and wrong. Notice um, verse 15, they are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Wow. See, God is saying these, these idols offer no proof of their existence. They offer no evidence, but I have. And the Bible makes it clear that God has given ultimate proof by sending his son, Jesus Christ. And here's the question for those who say, I don't believe there is a God. Here's a very simple question. Who was Jesus Christ? Even secular historians say he did miracles. Even secular historians say his body could not be found after he was buried. It disappeared. Even secular historians say that. And you've got to answer the question, who was Jesus Christ? Hebrews chapter 1 says he is the very image of the invisible God. Next time you want to see God, just remember that word, invisible. How can you see the invisible God? You, you can't, but you can experience him. And that leads to the next point. His claims can be experienced. And Aristotle said, we'll all be persuaded by something that is reasonable, ethical and emotional. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, I just cannot believe there's a God because there's just not enough evidence. Chances are, if your arms are folded like that and you're... You're that angry? Chances are your issue is not logic. Your issue is probably emotional. And I would probably ask a question like this. Tell me about your own dad. Tell me about how you were raised. Tell me about whether you were abused as a child. Tell me what is it that's in the seat of your emotions that's making you so angry that causes you to shut yourself off, not just from God, but from others as well. 
Do you think maybe the issue is not logical, but it's a hard issue? See, the claims of God can be experienced. When God says, cast all your cares onto me, 1 Peter 5, 7, because I care for you and you do and you experience the peace of God, you've just proved one of his claims true. His claims can be tested by experience. But how do we know what we have here is really the word of God? We read the next verse, verse 16. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things. So God is creator. He's making it. But he's not just creator. God is also redeemer. And this is what it says. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Bible, scriptures, it invites you to investigate its claims. And God is here saying, I chose a people and I have a plan to save people. And you can be a part of that plan if you open up your life to Christ. How do we know that what God says in the Bible is true? Firstly, the historical details of the Bible are attested to historically. When it talks about places and people, archaeologists have found the evidence for those things. It is confirmed by science. Think about what science tells us about the world and the way it works. It tells us that there are fixed laws that govern the universe. You may have heard of the law of gravity. You can fight it, you can disagree with it, but it's going to win every time. There are laws that govern the universe. And so science confirms what the Bible says. Thirdly, and this is really important, you can validate the claims of the Bible through your experience. You may not believe there is a God. You may not believe the Bible is really God's word, but you can put it to the test in your own heart. In fact, I heard Ravi Zacharias last week say this to an Indian audience of tens of thousands of people. He said this, I dare you to. He said, I know you worship 300 million gods, but there is one God and I dare you to pray to him and ask him to reveal that to you. It can be validated by experience. Fourthly, we read in the next two verses, verses 17 and 18, gather up the bundle, gather, gather up your bundle from the ground, O you who dwell under siege. A siege was about to commence. Jeremiah is prophesying it. For thus says the Lord, behold, I am slinging out the inhabitants of the land at this time. I will bring distress on them that they may feel it. Jeremiah is saying, you're not safe in this walled city. You will be captured. You will be taken out of the city. You will be sent to Babylon. And young Daniel, he's listening to this and he's going, okay, I'm going to Babylon. Everyone around me is telling me it'll never happen. But Jeremiah is telling me it will. I believe it. And he did. That's called fulfilled prophecy. How do you know that this is really God's word? It's fulfilled prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 53, there are 40 details of the coming life of Christ written some 700 years before it happened. Now, in fact, so accurate are the prophecies in Isaiah 53 that many people believed it was written after Jesus until 1948. Anyone know? 1948, 1946? Somewhere in there. There was a shepherd boy herding his goats through the, the, uh, the deserts there and he, he, threw, he lost one of his goats, threw a rock in and heard pottery smash. He went into this cave and he found all these leather scrolls called the Dead Sea Scrolls. He took them out and brought them back to somebody who dated them 500 or so years BC. And in one of them is the record of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53. 
And so all those people who said, oh, well, Isaiah, he couldn't have been that accurate. He must have written that, or someone must have written it after Jesus had to go, oh, well, we were wrong. This is now proof. It was written way before Jesus, and it happened exactly as Isaiah the prophet said it would happen. So we can test the claims of Scripture because prophecy has been fulfilled. So here's the claim that God is making through the prophet Jeremiah. He's calling the people to repent. He's calling the people, come to God, give him your heart. And Jeremiah has made the claim, he's the God who created the universe. He's the God who has ordered the universe. He's the God who orders and ordains the rains and the storms and the winds for our good. He's the God who's not like these false gods. He gives laws that must be kept, both physical and moral. And Jeremiah is inviting the people to come back to him, repent and say, Oh God, I need you in my life. I need you. And here's the simple message of Scripture. Unless you are in right relationship with God now and you die, you will never be in right relationship with him for eternity. You, you have this life. That's why Peter Daniel says, this life is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. Don't waste it. And I invite you right now to pray that prayer and test this. Put this claim to the test. Invite God to reveal himself to you. Invite God to reveal his love for you, to you. Do it. The God of the Bible is the God who created heaven and earth. The God of the Bible is the one who sent his son to die on the cross in our place. The God of the Bible who is the one who loves you and has a plan for your life. Not just the creator of the birds and the bees in your backyard, God is in fact Lord of the cosmos. More from Dr. Corbett in this Jeremiah series next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Session 23, Lord of the Cosmos, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you miss the introduction to the Jeremiah series, you can receive a complimentary DVD copy just by writing to us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. If you're listening outside Australia, for a gift of any amount to cover shipping, email your details to us to request your complimentary DVD. The emailing address, mail at findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.